you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, welcome to your Monday. Thank you so much for making us a part mm-hmm. of your Monday. We appreciate it. It's great to have uh, J-Mac with us, though. Oh, I'm Miki. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I'm Will. Hey, Will. Hey. Um, it's great to have J-Mac with us, yes. um, who who did our intro, who is the <laughs> production person, creative genius, <laughs> yeah. who, who put it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like his spin on it because he's, he's um, younger than we are. <laughs> so he freshened us up a little bit yeah you know what i mean i think he kind of he was like yeah you know so it's good i feel i feel, I feel good about it um anyway i i was laughing because i just you know as much as you don't want it to happen your kids can influence you uh-huh. and so just because i let mariah listen to it and she was like i don't know mom i think they yeah maybe should use a different clip you know so now when i listen to it i'm like i hear people going why is mika so angry Oh no, it's good. That's my secret. That's passion. No, I'm sorry. That's a that's a, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it's not angry. Um passion. yeah, no, it's sometimes not angry. It's angry that's, but... Sometimes it is. <laughs> Listen, can I tell you what I was praying right before we started the show? What's that? I was asking the Lord. And Sherry B over in Studio CC. Don't Sherry, Sherry, I'm B. sorry, Sherry. Sherry's like, She's Oh, you got a new house. intro, you acting extra. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sherry. You know how people do when they get new shoes. You're always looking at them. You walk sideways. You always looking at your shoes. You you can't help it. It's like a dress with pockets. Come on, ladies. A dress with pockets. You can't help it. You always are trying to put your hands in your pockets, even when you don't normally do it. It's just something it's new and it's exciting. Um, but Sherry B, you matter. So thank you so much for being over in Studio CC. We're gonna open the mm-hmm. phone lines. Here's what I was praying Um, right before we came to air. I was asking the Lord by the power of his Holy Spirit. I was asking him to help me communicate all of the things that we endeavor to talk about today that we have set our minds to talk about. We have a a couple articles um, that that you sent me this morning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, I've been thinking about those things and and we've compiled some clips that we want to play for our audience. But I know me. And I know how sometimes I get just a little bit lit, you know, just and so bit. I was just, okay, look you. No, it depends um, on the topic, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so, so yeah, so this is one of those, okay. Ah. And, uh, and I, I was just, I was asking the Lord to help me to communicate all of the information that we want to communicate without clouding it with me. You know what I mean? Like mm. not being too, oh. Cause sometimes I get so angry yeah. and I just want people to see things. I don't want people to be duped. I don't yeah. want people to be manipulated. And so sometimes that comes out in a very strong tone that can yeah. sound like I'm, you know, angry at the person listening and I'm not. I think people get you. I, I really do you think do. so. I, I think Man, people I hope can. So. Yeah. I think people can decipher what passion is, you know, as I opposed so, to just man. being angry. I just, I love the body just of to Christ. Be angry, you know? you yeah. know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like I love the body of Christ. And, and I think that if we are going to be, angry about Mm -hmm. the state of anything in our country. If we're going to be angry about the state of anything, 
in 21st century America, it must be the church. Mm. That should be the thing that chiefly kind of like, like gets stuck in our teeth, you know, and you're just like, <laughs> I'm gonna get it, you know? And so that's, that's kind of like, yeah. that's, I don't know. That's what I feel about. Okay. Um, so today I kind of want to do a, a couple different things here mm-hmm. and hopefully we can get through. I know for sure we got to get through four clips. So I'm going to try to navigate those um, as quickly as I can with a little bit of commentary in between, cause it's necessary, but just to make sure that we get through all the clips and then, um, kind of put a cap on all of the clips yeah. with a little bit of discussion. We're going to talk a little bit about neo-racism, new mm. racism. Neo-racism. Okay. Um, and, and, and I was kind of going back and forth because the stories that we're going to use to talk about neo-racism also um, kind of involve Leviathan parenting. Mm. So I don't know. And I'll just leave that up to you. It's either a discussion on neo-racism. You'll see how we, how it all shakes out. Or it is Leviathan parenting that we're talking about today. Either mm. one I'm good with. Uh, so here are a couple stories. And, and then we're going to ask the question about a couple of these, these stories here. We're going to play some clips. And then we'll open the phone lines uh, at the end of the show. That's so ambitious. And everybody, <laughs> look, and all the church is like, nah, it ain't happening. You can do it. <laughs> all right. Well, let's try to get right into it. So here is the headline. Um, grassroots organization launches to help parents fight woke indoctrination in schools. Mm. That's Leviathan parenting. Mm. All right. Yes. Put your hands on it. You won't do it again. You'll remember the battle. Okay. Mm. So here we go. We have some parents who are getting together who are saying we've had enough. Um, We're not going to let you indoctrinate our kids. Um, You know, if we send our kids to school and we send them to you expecting that you're going to do things like teach them to read, teach them how to add. And by the way, um, two plus two, four, five, five, (laughs) 10, you know what I'm saying? And and you're not going to attach racist undertones to that. Yeah. Um, Parents are finally speaking out and saying, we've had enough of you doing other than that. Man, good. Yeah, it's it's you know? excellent. It should have always been. It should have Man. always been. So here we go. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. A new organization is launching to empower parents in the fight against woke indoctrination in K-12 education, adding to the growing backlash to the rise of critical race theory and other controversial ideas spreading through U.S. schools. Um, as much as I commend this, I think this is we should this should have happened a long time ago. Yeah. You know, I don't think we have to get to this point to where it's sort of like now you have permission to form a coalition. You know what I mean? I think we should have been seeing this before. I think one of the things is parents had to get hip to what's going on. I think there was a lot of ignorance about what was going on just from the, from the, like to the parents, I think mm-hmm. the, the educators and people up top knew <laughs> what they were doing. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. You know, this stuff can be confusing. So it's like, I think once parents really get a whiff of <laughs> what's, what's going on, it's like, yeah, uh-uh, yeah, you know? that's exactly right. And and I'm and I'm glad that parents are doing that. And, and speaking of getting a whiff, that's why we have um, these clips that we're going to play, mm. because when, when you start talking about what is it that parents are sort of rising up against? I think it's helpful for parents to hear how teachers are being trained mm. so that we know if a teacher is yeah, being man. trained this way, then this is how the teacher is going to train your kid. Yep. Right. And so we have some clips that we're going to let you hear um, that actually is audio from a critical race theory. It's a CRT training for teachers, hmm. whether they call it that or not. Well, they actually don't call it that. They actually call it equity something or other. 
which buzzword. Oh, it's, a road, it's a buzzword. Uh, it's a roadmap to equity. That's what it is. A roadmap mm. to equity, equity training. We've already done a show where we talked about the difference between equality and equity. Right. And it's interesting because in, in the clip, well, I don't know if one of the clips actually covers this, but in the whole presentation that I was watching or the piece of the presentation, um, the girl who's conducting the teaching, who's doing the training says, yes. And so with equality, I mean, equity, she made sure to correct herself, mm. like to make sure that she didn't say accidentally and leave it equality. They know there is a difference. All right. So anyway, you've got this new organization. It was launched last Tuesday, last Tuesday, the nonprofit membership organization or association um, is calling itself Parents Defending Education, PDE. Um, and it wants to hold officials accountable for politicizing classrooms. It's very good. Very good. Quote, PDE empowers parents by educating them on their child's rights, on their children's rights in the classroom, how to document abuses and extremism, and how they can begin exercising influence and oversight with their school. That's according to a press release uh, about this new association. I think this is the kind of thing that we need to see uh, just kind of cropping up all across this country. That if parents are making the decision to have their kids educated outside of their home, they cannot be passive. Right. They cannot oh, be passive. No. If you say, well, this is what God has called me to do. I, I'm convinced that this is where God wants me to have my kid. If that's if that's what you're saying, then there is no way you can take a passive, laissez-faire, or hands-off approach to what is happening with your kid outside of your home. Um, in addition to that, in addition to that, there are parents, um, and I'm aware because you write in, there are parents who say, I would love to homeschool, but I am a single parent. I am parenting by myself. Yeah. And I'm also working. So how do I do that? And believe it or not, you are the subject of our prayers. Because that's real. Amen. So we are asking the Lord to help you and to equip you and to enable you to do those things that he has strongly convicted your heart that you ought to do. But they are really without uh, uh, beyond your reach. Mm-hmm. Like not just, oh, uh, yeah. it's, it's genuinely beyond your reach. And can I also say something? In addition to praying, we are actively mapping out Man, how we can empower churches to help families that want to do this. Yes. This is a part of our role in the culture here at the American Family Association. We take it very seriously. At any rate, mm-hmm. until that point, right? Yeah. So many of our listeners have their kids in a context where you'd be hard pressed to really know exactly what they're being taught. So organizations like this and associations like this that are popping up, I think they're good. And I think parents should maybe research not only this one, but others that are, I think, increasingly going to crop up. Amen. All right. So that's one story. Here's another story before we get into the clips, because, man, I, I really do want to hurry and get to the clips. Okay. <laughs> um, so you've got a Texas school district that has taken action to uh, shame white students as part of its uh, cultural competence program. Cultural competence program. <sighs> I know. Okay. Just, <laughs> let me just... Let me just breathe. So apparently there was a leaked video that um, gained some traction, which is like shocking to no one, of white students rapping along to a rap song that had um, racial slurs in the rap lyrics. I just, does everybody understand what I'm saying? Yes. They were rapping along to a rap song that had racial slurs in the lyrics. And so this video made its way um, out into the larger population, if you will. And so this school 
was all of a sudden charged with dealing with its systemic race problem or systemic racism problem because a group of high schoolers Mm -hmm. were rapping lyrics (laughs) that had (laughs) racial slurs in them. Okay. Here we go. I just want to make sure everybody understands this, okay? I just, I just want you to understand. So here we go. An incident involving white students singing along to racial slurs and rap lyrics led Texas' most successful school district to adopt a radical approach to combating racism. The Carroll Independent School District of Southlake, a Dallas suburb, is the top achieving school district in Texas. Man, I'm telling you, any, I've said this before. I will say it again. You, if this school does not um, respond to the objection of parents as parents are objecting again. And I put this in the category of Leviathan parenting. Yeah. Okay. If this school district does not respond to the objections of parents and continues on down this course, you can take is and change it to was Mm. it was the top achieving school district in Texas because any institution Mm -hmm. that allows for critical race theory, as a framework for anything will be destroyed by it. That's what it does. Critical race theory topples anything and everything that invites it as a framework. All right. So you think you're doing something good by appeasing these people who are crying and saying, I can't, you know, I can't, my kid can't come to a school where these kids are rapping along to these um, rap rapper lyrics <laughs> and, and they're just rapping you know, and, and so you say, OK, well, we're going to fix it. What we're going to do is we're going to we're going to critical race theory it. There goes your school. Mm. There goes the achievement of your kids. Yeah. Right. Now, what you've done is you've given this building the outward appearance of a school. But really what it becomes is a political activist camp. Yep. That's what it is. Same with churches, by the way. Yep. Who who invite critical race theory as a legal, uh, not a legal, but it is a legal framework and it, at its origin, but as some sort of framework for whatever. I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't really care to make, to make it make sense. It's dumb. We have the word of God. Now, listen, in this school system, the parents are rising up and they're saying cease and desist. Stop yeah. this. But here is the question. The question is, what is it that teachers are being taught? And that teachers are expected to teach students. When we talk about critical race theory and we talk about the indoctrination, we talk about we talk about being trained in it. What is it that teachers are being taught? When we get back on the other side of this break, we got several clips that we want you to hear so you know exactly what this looks like. And in fact, maybe you can spot it in some of the communication coming from your kids right now. All right. Aaron, the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We appreciate you listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and as we are messengers with power. Okay, so when we talk about battling critical race theory in schools, um, we talk about what it is for a parent to be a Leviathan, to stand up <laughs> and to protect your kids. Um, 
it's important to know what teachers are being taught. Very few teachers, because of fear of losing their jobs, are going to come forward and say to parents, now there is um, the rare occasion where a teacher trusts you enough to say, hey, I don't like this. This is wrong. Mm. But this is what we are required to teach, yeah. right? Um, too often, I really think that a lot of times teachers just sort of like, man, you know, it just kind of comes with the job description. This is the direction yeah. that we're moving in and this is kind of what we're forced to teach. But I think it's important for parents to know what the teachers are being taught. So here we have um, from the Virginia Beach Public School System. This is in February of this year. An online training, a Zoom training where they are visiting. And it's like a part two. So I was trying to kind of glean from the information that was present. I was trying to understand what was going on. So this seems like a follow up to a training that I, um, I wasn't privy to. Mm -hmm. But this is Roadmap to Equity. Uh, they use as their backdrop for this training becoming anti-racist or becoming an anti-racist uh, Ibram X. Kendi, cha-ching, bada bing, yeah. right? <laughs> like this is this is this is how it happens. That's okay, it. Yep. so some of these clips are a little bit longer, but if you can, please stay engaged. I'll I'll do my best on the other side of the clip to come back and just to sort of run a highlighter over what you've just heard. But the reason some of these clips are longer than I would personally like is because you must hear this with your own ears so that you understand how those who are training your kids are being trained. All right, here we go. This is uh, cut one. We also talked about the fact that there's a strategic framework that we have, 2025, and that in Virginia Beach, we have a equity focus that is embedded in all of those goals that we have. Uh, last time in January, we focused on goal number two and goal number three specifically in identifying those inequities that may happen in learning gaps because of teacher expectations. That's where we were coming from, okay? And so, like I said, once again, visit those. If you weren't able to bookmark some of those, I know Mary's dropping those in the chat. You may want to bookmark those for later reference, um, although it may not be needed in the new learning that we're going to do today. And then that takes us to this continuous reflection. We started there. We want to stay right there with that serious thought, serious consideration, deeply thinking and carefully thinking about those things. But let's go even deeper where we're going to uh, Listen to what some of the look-fors that are in the state documents when it talks about continuous reflection. It mentions that we need to critically self-assess through an ongoing examination of our implicit and explicit biases. And that's where, and we've been having meetings, not just, um, you know, it's like just the language arts team, but our department um, is having these meetings and they're, we're just talking about, okay, we're in this fork in the road and where do we go? We've had the conversations and we are listening in, then where do we go next? What's the action piece, you know? And I believe that today in our new learning, our new work together, we're gonna to talk about some of those action steps and what we can do when we are in conversations and we see biases that may occur. Okay, so let me run a highlighter over this for you. So what this expert, okay, in um, equity is talking about here is the fact that they have the full backing of the Virginia Beach school system, 
Okay, so we're going to be going through our manual here. Mm -hmm. And she's very confident. If you can hear, I want you to hear all of it. Very confident that this is where we're going. Yep. Okay, I have we have the full backing. This is we have stated goals and objectives. This is what we're moving toward. Okay, so in other words, as you start to feel uncomfortable, which anybody watching this training will feel uncomfortable, you're going to hear some of the clips. You will feel uncomfortable. Basically, what she's saying is there is no exit here because this is where the public school system is going. There is something else that she says that I think is so destructive and so diabolical. That this is this this was one of the points that just kind of I, I felt myself just oh, just get a little bit hot in my head, you know, and you want to just kind of bring it down. So I want to say something. I want to say something very candidly here. She mentions learning gaps as a result of teacher expectations. Now, remember, this is a language arts class or for language arts teachers. OK. So what she is driving at is that when we talk about equity, when we talk about equal outcomes Mm -hmm. for everyone, the reason we have learning gaps, now, what's implied here is that you have black kids who are at the bottom of these achievement, um, uh, how do you measure, like, I I don't know what they would call it. Like, so if you have a, a system or a, a program by metrics. Ha- the metrics. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you. Okay. So if black kids are at the bottom, thank you. Yes. If black kids are at the bottom, then the reason they're at the bottom is because teachers have an expectation of them that is inherently biased against them. Mm. <laughs> In other words, and please listen to me, every black person, this is why when people are like, Oh, Mickey, you just hate yourself. I feel so sorry for them. Because I because that's that is the 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 level of ignorance being displayed that I can't even I can't even help you. You understand? So in other words, what she is saying is that black kids are at the bottom because teachers are expecting too much of them. Mm-hmm. So in other words, what you're gonna come face to face with is your need to lower these expectations. So that we can close in these learning gaps because what you perceive as a lack of learning is actually learning for a black person. Y'all, I'm Man. about to come out of this chair. <laughs> I'm sorry. Wow. So, wow. so, so listen. So this is what critical race theory does. Wow. And this is what liberal leftists do to black people that they say they're trying to help. In fact, they do it all the time, every single day. And you watch other black people parrot this foolishness. They do it every single day. This is what they say. They say, you really are so stupid that you need white liberals to speak for you. Mm. You really are so like, you're such a buffoon that you need us to tell you that you are oppressed. Let us define your oppression. Let us speak on your behalf. Let us write the books, Robin D'Angelo. Let us tell you where your oppression has come from. Let us empower you, you know, just with the power we say you can have. I was I'm reading right now, thanks to a sister in Florida who um, sent me this book, which, by the way, I want to say thank you so much. I'm reading right now um, Fault Lines, Vody Bauckham's book. This book takes all of the research that I have done through all kinds of other books and articles and historical information, all this stuff. And it succinctly puts it right here between 
two hardcovers. Mm. Vody Bakum has done an incredible job in this book. Yeah. And if you have been curious, if you have not understood and you've tried to make it make sense, I cannot recommend for you um, more fault lines. So you need to check it out. But as I was listening to this clip, this one in particular, the teacher expectations and the learning gaps, I thought about this one anecdote that Vody Bakum shared in his book, and I'm going to share it with you right now. And when black people adopt critical race theory, gone are the days where we say, my kid is just as smart as any other kid on the planet. Mm. There is no difference between my kid and any other kid on the planet. Gone are those days. What you then adopt is a feeling of inferiority that you internalize. Mm. See, they tell you that you've internalized racism. And so there you just you live under it and it's just all you're used to. But now what they're saying is we want you to internalize inferiority, internalize victimhood. There are just things you can't do. You don't read well. It's because you're black. Joe Biden knows this. Joe Biden knows this. Here we go. This is from Vodibakum's book, um, and I'm going to read a, a few excerpts from his book because I think they're important to the conversation today. He talks about his mom coming to his school. <laughs> Listen to this quote. I'm going to read at length. As she met with the teacher, she noticed that the books on my group's table were different than those on the other groups that the other groups were reading. She asked about it and was told that my group was at a lower reading level. At that point, my mother called me over to the teacher's desk gave me a look that shook me to my core, then turned to the teacher and said, give me a book. <laughs> the teacher reached for one of the readers on her desk. No, my mother corrected her. Give me your book. The teacher protested, assuring my mother that her book was far beyond my reading level, at which point my mother simply pointed to the book and held out her hand. <laughs> The teacher handed her the book. My mother opened it to a random page, handed it to me, then folded her arms and said, read this, son. I knew I was in trouble. There was no way out. If I fumbled through the book, my mother would know I was playing dumb at school. However, if I read it, my teacher would know that I had been playing dumb at school. Either way, I knew I would be toast when I got home. So I did the only thing I could. I began to read the book. The teacher, a rather pale white woman, began to grow increasingly red. Her jaw dropped and her eyes doubled in circumference. She tried to speak, but the words wouldn't come out. <laughs> I finished the passage, handed the book back to my mother, then turned and walked back to my group. But it wasn't over. Before I could get back to the table, my mother said, oh, no, that's not your group anymore. She then told the teacher, I see that all his little buddies are at that table. Vody doesn't care about reading as much as he cares about being with his homeboys. And she was right. I was a little black boy growing up in South Central Los Angeles during the heyday of the Crips and the Bloods. Mm. It wasn't cool to hit the books. So I underperformed so as not to stand out. But that day, that day, Francis Bacham had come to class. <laughs> <laughs> that day she reminded me and my teacher <laughs> that she not the streets had the last word do you know how many votes are in classes today come on doing the same thing do you know and do you know now 
that what teachers can't do is expect Vody to be superior. You know that they can't because that's internalized racism. That that is a bias that you are not aware that you have to expect that all of your students should be able to perform at the same level. So now what you do is you group your students according to the color of their skin and you lower your expectations, thereby closing in the learning gaps. I've taken the long way around just summing up what she has said. To put a period on it, black kids are they're dumb. So don't have high expectations because, you know, that's why we have these achievement gaps in the numbers. So to all the black people who are so quick to like, yeah, don't you want the equity like tracker things? Don't you want man, 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 man. You just know so little, you know, you just know so little. All right. Um, let's go with clip two. Here we go, Jeff. We know there's gender biases. We have biases that occur in our culture, in our culture um, regarding, you know, like religion and um, language uh, biases. There are biases, you know, so sexual orientation in our LGBTQ communities. There's biases that we have uh, with students with disabilities as well. And we know there's, a, there's an array of biases that may occur. For our context today, we're gonna focus in on the equality, uh, the equity piece around race and about the biases that may occur in race and really lean, like I, said, I kept saying last time, leaning in. So this is our chance to really lean in and grapple with our discomfort about having these conversations. Now, you might wonder why, why should I expect discomfort? Well, you should expect discomfort because you are about to be told that you're racist. You are about to be told that you're irredeemably broken, hmm. that you are sinful and wicked. You are about to be told that you're not doing enough. You are about to be told that just your existence is trauma to black people. That's what you're about to be told. And so your the expectation is that you need to be able to receive this. You need to be able to feel it. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable, but you need to resist acting on your discomfort because it's just your white fragility speaking. Whenever you whenever you hear something that you don't like that takes you out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. that is your white fragility coming to the surface. In fact, now I don't know if we have time to get into this next clip. I think I'm gonna have to save it for the other side of the break here. Yeah. But one of the things that she talks about when she talks about um, the difference in our biases, right? And, and being uncomfortable and all of these things. She says one example of these implicit biases that we have. So these implicit biases are the ways that we feel and think about people that we don't even have to focus on. They're just inherent to us. One of the things that she says is an implicit bias, right? Is the idea that, or is believing, I'm sorry, believing that some ideas of people are better than others. <laughs> some ideas of people are better than others. If you think that, that is an implicit bias. It's crazy. So now I have to check my brain at the door. I have to say all ideas are equal. All ideas are good of sorts. If I say that's a bad idea, it is probably because of my implicit bias. So thinking that an idea in and of itself 
is good or bad is directly connected to your privilege. <laughs> Guys, Crazy. this is what's being taught to teachers yes. so that it can proliferate and spread across schools. Yep. All right. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Tell us nothing, you tell us nothing. We're in denial. We love our lust. Save us from us. Don't matter the color. We're in denial. But then you have those implicit biases that kind of happen automatically. They're hidden. And, and they happen because of our interactions that we have on our everyday, um, our everyday lives. And how can we address those in a way? that is a professional in a professional manner. And so you say, well, Wendy, okay, yes, yeah, so we're talking about all those things. What can I do? I'm so glad that you asked. So let's listen in to this video. We're going to call it spade a spade. Saying I'm not a racist and being anti-racist is like two different things. When most people think of racism, they think of, you know, let's say what happened to George Floyd, or they think of the KKK, or they think of slavery. And when that is kind of your perception, it's very easy to say, well, I would never do that. I would never do that awful thing, which is valid, but it's more nuanced than that. Someone saying like, I'm not a racist doesn't help the problem. Simply saying I'm not doing that does not save somebody's life. It's like witnessing someone getting jumped and being like, hey, I didn't jump him. It's like, but you also just stood there while he or she got jumped. And being an anti-racist is like, one, getting involved and being like, break it up, stop this. And two, speaking out to make sure it never happens again. I would say on a very basic level, it's just about passive and active language, right? To say one is not racist doesn't actually connote any action. But if you think about, let's pick baseball. To be not racist is going for a bunt. You know, you hold the bat out, the ball, you, you hope the ball hits the bat. You're not expecting to hit the ball hard. You just want to get the ball to connect with the bat so that you can attempt to make a play. To be anti-racist is to swing the bat as hard as you can and go for the home run. To put in the extra effort to shoot for the stars and to actually swing that bat, right? To risk the strike. To risk the strike, right? But you swing the bat as hard as you can every single time. All right. Um... Lord help us because there's still so much more. So yeah. what you heard was the clip. We're continuing um, exposing what is being taught to teachers. And the expectation is that this will be taught to kids um, yeah. all across this country. This is critical race theory. Um, they can call it equity. They can call it whatever they want. Inclusion, diversity, whatever they want. Yeah. It is indoctrination on critical theory. Marxism yeah. is ultimately what it is. It's neo-Marxism, cultural Marxism. That's what it is. Um, it pits people against each other. Um, based on the groups that they fall in, they get to create the groups. So Man. what you hear here is you, you have a teacher who is conducting this training or an educator, whatever, conducting this training. I don't know if she's actively teaching or just teaching teachers, which is teaching. My point is you have someone <laughs> who's conducting this training via Zoom and she drops in a video for the, for the teachers who are watching and learning, Virginia Beach public school teachers, 
um, they're watching and learning. And she says, well, you might have a question like, you know, so 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 what do we where do we go in, in understanding our um, implicit biases? And then she says, I'm so glad you asked. Right. And, and OK, right. Um, so then she starts playing this video. Right. And by the way, we'll have a link to this in the show notes. So you should go and watch it. It's 22 minutes that we pulled from this clip. It's 22 minutes. You should watch it in its entirety just so that you are informed. You will find it in the show notes. Um, she she runs this this montage of people uh, redefining racism. <laughs> they are representing what racism is. And remember, we talk often about redefining terms. And so see what we have been doing. We faithful Christians. We have, one, been trying to say, hold on a second, let's aim a little bit higher. The Bible actually refers to this as partiality. That's right. But, okay, if you want to meet on your playground, okay, so you want to do it based on skin color, you're accustomed to calling it racism. I disagree with that, but we'll play your game. We'll call it racism. But what you don't know is that they have actually redefined racism. Hmm. So now it is not an action that a person takes. It is just, it is an existence that, it is something that is. Yeah. OK, it yeah. is it is not something that you do. So in other words, what they are right. training teachers is that you don't have to commit any act to be a racist. You just are. You know, you know what this reminds me of. I don't know if you remember when the National Museum of African-American History put out that it was Smithsonian. They put out that aspects and assumptions of whiteness. Yes. And they talked about yes. rugged individualism, <laughs> emphasis on the scientific <laughs> method, Come pro on, <laughs> Protestant work ethic religion mm. those things being attributed to whiteness and it's yes. you know and it's this teaching or this this training reminds me of that now they pulled this down they took it off oh, their yeah. site but yeah. this is the stuff that's still being pumped into the teachers and the schools man that is an excellent observation so in other words all of the things that we root now listen to how at their word racist this is all of the things that we root historically in in excellence, mm -hmm. like the scientific method, <laughs> we say that's white. Man, so crazy. So, okay, rigorous study, checking and rechecking, <laughs> formulating hypotheses, studies, observation, right? Uh, research. So that's that's something that anybody who's not white can't do. Man. Like that's 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 oppressive. Is th that's what we're saying. That's what we're saying, guys. And when we give into it, whether we're white, whether we're black, whether we're Hispanic, whether we're Asian, when we give into it, what we are doing is affirming a lie. We are we are affirming inferiority when we give into this. And we but they have so cloaked it that they make you think that what you're doing is good. Mm -hmm. That's why when people say, but don't you think, Miki, that I should acknowledge my privilege? I'm like, are you saying you're better than me? <laughs> like to my face? I mean, you know, it's one thing you say it behind my back, right? I mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. But you're really, you're really standing eye to eye with me and telling me that you are better than me inherently. That's what, and then when you, when you say it that way, mm -hmm. people are like, no, 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 that's, that's not, not what I'm, I'm saying. No. But yeah. that is what you're saying. Right. You see, and so the neo-racist bank on you not making those connections so that you'll keep saying this stuff. Yeah. So that you'll bring it into your churches. So that you'll ask your pastor to teach it from the pulpit on, or put man. it on a YouTube video. Where I'm talking to you, Matt Chandler, where you talk about your invisible backpack. Where <laughs> you got all the opportunity and advantages that I don't have because you're white. Brother Chandler, are you saying you're better than me? Now, listen. 
again, I'm going to quote from Fault Lines here because Bakum does an amazing job of getting it all in one place here. And then because we're running out of time, I'm going to skip clip four. Maybe okay. we can pick up with it tomorrow. But I do not want to neglect bringing in the word of God to challenge what we see happening, what is pervasive in our culture today. We have to do that is our straight edge, Amen. guys. Amen. Amen. So what you have happening is a redefinition of terms in our culture. Chief among them, even for the conversation, is racism. Notice that you have to move from the place of being not racist to being anti-racist. <laughs> the implication there is that there is action that is required, so you have to do something. Remember, we've, we've talked so many times about them making activists, little mini activists, mm -hmm. kids who will challenge their parents while eating the parents' grits. <laughs> That's what they're trying to do, right? Yeah. So you got to call it out. You got to call it out when you see it. And it's everywhere. Speak up. <laughs> Video games. <laughs> We anyway. were joking about this around <laughs> lunch yesterday. Center yeah. yourself. You know, you got to. <laughs> anyway, okay. Um, so here we go. This is uh, from Vody Bakum's book under uh, systemic, uh, I'm sorry, systemic racism, systemic sin. All right. And I'm going to jump around here. This is what he writes. At the heart of the woke movement lies the idea that the sin of racism is no longer to be understood as an individual sin. Instead, the term now incorporates the idea of institutional structural racism and its implications. I'm jumping down here. In one of the approved canonical writings of the anti-racism cult, <laughs> D'Angelo explains, quote, in the post-civil rights era, we have been taught that racists are mean people who intentionally dislike others because of their race. Racists are immoral, end quote. Let me pause for a second. This is Vodi Bakum <laughs> quoting Robin D'Angelo from her book, White Fragility. Mm -hmm. And she says, post the Civil War, basically we have been taught that racism is the outward expression, doing those things that show partiality. All right? Mm -hmm. That it's an action. Okay. However, back to the book here. However, she explains that this antiquated definition is no longer acceptable for her and other leaders of the anti-racist cult, the definition of racism is much broader. Today's definition eschews the individualistic, I'm sorry, the individualistic proscriptions of the past. Vody's smarter than me. Basically what he's <laughs> saying is that what we, when we talk about racism today, they are ignoring the transgressions of the past, right? That it was something that was done. Mm -hmm. Okay. What, what a proscriptions, what a, per, what a person actually did, ignoring what was actually done. Instead, today, racism is this. And then he gives the definition from Robin D'Angelo herself. Quote, a far-reaching system that functions independently from the intentions or self-images of individual actors. Mm. In other words, Vody Bakum writes, today we have racism without racists. <laughs> So I wrote in my margin, I'm an active reader. I wrote in my margin, mm -hmm. it's disembodied racism. Mm. It's, 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 it's like he says, it's racism without racist. Now, let me break this down. And, I, and I, we're not going to get to calls. I'm sorry. But let me just make this point for you. In other words, when we are talking about racism today on the national scene, when we're talking about this in the TV shows that your kids are, you know, taking in, all right. What your what your kids are being taught in school. We are not talking about 
the things that you do that are racist or that show partiality, higher calling there. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about something that is just sort of out in the air. It's sort of not identified, but everyone is guilty of it. That's that's the that's the neo racism. Everyone is guilty. So it's not anything that you've done. Now, I was thinking about this and and as I was as I was um, kind of like, you know, just hmm, sitting and thinking about this, the Holy Spirit reminded me of something in the scriptures. This neo racism that is a cult, it is it is like a religion. Vodibakum writes this in his book. He is absolutely right. It is like a religion. But it's amazing because the neo racist theology is not even it's not gracious like God is gracious toward us. Hmm. What do I mean? In Romans chapter five, in Romans chapter five, uh, verse 13, the apostle Paul writes something that is interesting. And I think the neo racists um, are doing something similar to this, but without the redemption. So this is what the apostle Paul writes in uh, Romans chapter five, verse 13. He writes, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, what was happening? So you have people who are dying from Adam to Moses. That's the sin. That's the penalty for sin. The wages for sin, the wages of sin is death, right? So you have people who are dying from Adam to Moses. But there, there is not a specific transgression that they are able to stand up against and say, this is what you did. This is what you, it's because sin is in the DNA. And so now death has entered, has come to all men. Mm-hmm. But what the neo-racist is saying is that, hey, yeah, right. It's, it's, just, it's just there. It's just out there. And we're not going to be good. And, and please excuse this comparison. We're not going to be good like God and say, hmm, this is what you do that is wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Because remember in Romans chapter one, God makes his case yeah. against humanity. Yeah. You remember what the apostle Paul points out as he continued, continued writing to the Romans in chapter seven. Remember he said, when the law came, the law showed me the condition of my heart. Mm. So now it was something that I could violate. It was something that I could do. Right. And I know now I stand before God condemned and I understand it fully because, man, look at how I can't hold up. The neo-racists are saying, no, no, we're not. We're not. There's, there's nothing that you can really do that is wrong. It's just wrong. It's just out there. See, the grace of God, the grace of God allowed for what our brother James wrote about in his letter when he talked about partiality. Mm-hmm. He said, if you don't do this, but then you do that, he says, you've broken all of the law. Right. He says, why? Because the one who said don't commit adultery and don't murder is one. <laughs> so if you don't commit adultery, but you do murder, haven't you broken all of the law? Again, what's the point that I'm making? There is something hard and fast by which you can measure yourself and say, I did that. Mm -hmm. But the neo-racists, they don't give you anything hard and fast that you can say, I did that. It's just a state of um, it's disembodied racism. Wow. And our kids. (laughs) Our kids are being instructed and trained in this. And many Christians are adopting this, by the way. White and black alike Mm -hmm. are adopting this being filled with hatred and resenting one another. And then you say, what have I done to you, my brother? What, what is it? Ah, it's not anything that really you so much done. It's just, you know, you just, because you're just white. Man. 
And this is coming from wicked and evil men who do not know the word of God. They do not fear God. And we are adopting this and bringing it into the church. And then we sound pious and virtuous. Person says, I can't worship with you. Well, what did I do? How, how have I shown partiality? How have I offended you? It's just by existing. Just because you breathe. It's wicked, man. It's wicked. It's, it's not a substitute for the gospel. Come on. There's no redemption in it. All right, we're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.